Father, oh, we thank you, Lord, for that unending grace. Father, it is abundant, Father. We are abounding in that grace. And we know that it sustains us moment by moment. Father, we pray for those that those prayer requests that have been shared. Father, we pray that you would extend your grace to each one of those individuals, whether it be healing or restoration or for salvation. Father, for traveling mercies, Lord, we just pray that uh, you would grant uh, those answers to prayer as we come before thee, Lord, and we seek your will. So we commit them to you, Lord, now. And we thank you, Lord, again, for allowing us this privilege to look into your word. I pray, Lord, that we might leave here with more understanding as you've opened our eyes, Lord, to your glorious truth. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you'll take your Bibles, let's turn to the book of Revelation tonight. Revelation, we are starting... um, a short series, a seven-part series on, and um, I know many of you have studied the this passage in the past, but it's the passage in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3 <clears throat> concerning what Jesus said, messages that Jesus gave to seven churches, And he gave them through the Apostle John as John was writing the book of Revelation, of course. And so we're going to be looking at these seven churches together. And tonight we'll be looking at the first first one. But as as we prepare to to look at that, uh, look at the churches, I think it's important that we read chapter one together before we go into the churches and the messages the Lord has beginning in chapter 2. So if you'll just read along with me, follow along, let's pick it up as uh, Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his bondservants the things which must shortly take place. And he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant John who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia. By the way, when he says that, we know that these are literal churches of John's day, okay. Uh, even though uh, we we can we can kind of uh, um, project what God is saying to those churches to today's churches, and we will see that in a bit. But John says to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from Him who is and who was and is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us 
and released us from our sins by his blood. And he has made us to be a kingdom priest to his God and Father, to him to be to be glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will mourn over him. Even so, amen. Then verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and was and who is to come, the Almighty. Now I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance which are in Christ, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. And I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And I heard behind me a loud voice like a sound of a trumpet saying, Write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed in a robe reaching to the feet, girded across his breast with a golden girdle. His head and his hair were like white, like wool, like snow. And his eyes were like a flame of fire. And his feet were like burnished bronze when it had been uh, caused to glow in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. And in his right hand, he held seven stars. And out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as a dead man. And he laid his hand upon me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last, and the living one. And I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write therefore these things which you have seen, things which which are, and the things which shall take place after these things. As for the mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So here John is taken to heaven in the spirit, and he's taken up, and there... This can be no one else who he hears and meets who speaks to him than the Lord Jesus Christ. We know it to be the Lord Jesus Christ because who else would hold the churches in his hands, these seven churches in his hands, symbolized as stars, as, I'm sorry, as golden lampstands. And then, and then the stars. And we'll, we'll take a look at what the stars may mean. But here 
he says, do not be afraid to John. I am the first and the last, the Alpha and Omega, the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive forevermore. And he, I hold the keys of death and Hades. So from that statement alone, we know this is the Lord Jesus Christ, risen the resurrected Lord in heaven. And now John is appearing before him. And so Jesus has this message to give John to take to the seven churches. Now, John had been involved in these seven churches in ministry. And so he knows them very well. These are all churches in Asia. And, and as we see here, the Lord Jesus, as he speaks of the churches, he calls, he says, these are seven represented by the seven lampstands. Then he mentions seven stars. Now, the uh, that are in his hand. And now, depending on your translation of what translation you have, some 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 of them are it's translated stars, and some of them it's translated as angels. But the Greek word is angelo. Greek word is angelo which basically means messenger. So these stars, seven stars, uh, could either be, scholars believe it could be one or the other, they could be angels who are overseeing those particular churches that God put in charge overseeing each church, one of his angels, one of his messengers, okay? The... Uh, the other thought, and it could very well fit this, is because it's the word messengers that also has been used for pastors and elders who were overseeing the churches. So the elders or pastor would be overseeing those churches. And so this these letters, when they were sent to the churches, they were sent to to each church they were sent to the leader or leaders the elders of the church so they were the ones that received it okay so either way whether it be the uh, uh, an angel for each church or a pastor or an elder for each church overseeing uh, but God is speaking to those who will be overseeing who are overseeing these churches and then back at uh, look at back at verse 4 if you go back to chapter 1 there and verse 4, where John wrote, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. Now, again, this is, uh, this has caused, uh, you know, some... Uh, difficulty in trying to understand who are the seven spirits here. Well, in the, in this uh, in these few verses, we see the Trinity. We see so if the seven spirits represent the Holy Spirit, verse five we see and from Jesus Christ there as well. And then verse 6, what do we see? And he has made us to be a kingdom, priests to his God and the Father. So we have the Spirit, the Son, 
and the Father, okay, in those three verses. But then why would the Holy Spirit be represented by, and, and, and he would say that there are seven spirits before the throne of God because we know there's one Holy Spirit. Well, it's interesting because uh, we won't take time to turn to it, but Isaiah 11.2, if you turn to Isaiah 11.2 uh, when you get a chance, this is what we read. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. And now he says this concerning the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the Spirit of counsel and of power, and the Spirit of knowledge and the Spirit of the fear of the Lord. The prophecy is that of the Messiah. So there, what we see here is a description in Isaiah of seven attributes of the Holy Spirit. Okay? So many good Bible scholars believe that this is referring to the seven spirits are actually um, different uh, attributes of the Holy Spirit, but it is one spirit, the Holy Spirit. So just wanted to add that in there as we move on. So we come to our first church that the Lord Jesus wants to send a message to. And it's the church of Ephesus. And we, we will pick it up here in, in chapter 2, verse 1. Now, just before we begin reading, uh, John is on an, the island called the island of Patmos. Patmos is about 70 miles away from Ephesus, so it's very close, <clears throat> as many of the other churches were too. So he, the Lord Jesus starts with this particular uh, city. Now, understanding what Ephesus was back then, <clears throat> it was a seaport. It was a seaport city, so had 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 much going in and out. Uh, you know, th there was much commerce and things going in and out of the city and it was a vibrant city being a seaport it had a coliseum but what made it so unique that from so many other cities is that they had a giant temple built to the goddess of diana which is the goddess of love it, it the the other name for diana was is also uh, used as Artemis, the Temple of Artemis. So either one, they're interchangeable, but the uh, Temple of Artemis, Temple of Diana. This temple was one of the seven wonders of the world, if you remember the seven wonders of the world in your history class um, of uh, this is ancient wonders of the world. But here was Ephesus. It was extremely pagan extremely pagan and so here we have a church that was founded in this this town of Ephesus <clears throat> and now the Lord speaks to them and as we are about to look into the first church Ephesus uh, <clears throat> we we can see we, what we like to do as we go through these churches um, we can view our own church Jonestown Bible Church and kind of hold it up to these churches 
and we can see how do we measure up to these ancient churches what's good about them what was good about them and and where, yet where they were failing and we we can kind of identify with them each one in particular area but i'm more concerned in our study together about taking this and applying it personally to each one of us because we are the church you and i are the church the body of christ and therefore what jesus is saying here he's speaking to a church as a whole but who makes up the church believers the believers are in these churches and so i think we must look in the mirror that's what i do when i come to this passage in each one of these churches i look in the mirror and say does that represent me what what the lord jesus is saying and we will find that the lord jesus begins with a, a commendation of the church what they're doing well for him in in glorifying him but then he has a condemnation after that and then then after that a word of encouragement but we so but i i pray that we will take this personally to heart and 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 just look at it as if the lord is speaking to me tonight so verse 1 to the angel of the church in ephesus write and he's speaking to john here write this down the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands and by the way remember the lampstands are the seven churches who is the one that's walking among them it's jesus christ himself and so here's a picture of jesus walking among his churches and he's going from one church to another and he's going to observe them and he's going to to give them a word concerning their church and 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 how they have been doing so he who walks among the seven golden lampstands says this verse 2 i know your deeds and your toil and perseverance and that you cannot endure evil men and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles and they are not and you found them to be false and you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary so we'll stop there here is the lord's commendation of this church in Ephesus he says first of all he says now i know of your deeds i know of your toil and perseverance there's uh, also the word instead of perseverance you could put the word endure endurance jesus is commending them for their faithful endurance in the midst of all the the false teaching and the lies that were that satan would try and bring into the church so there was great opposition uh, and uh, to these uh, this particular church but what this church did well 
was they stayed true to the word of God. They stayed upon the word and they held to sound doctrine and and they would not be shaken by false teachers so that when somebody may come into the church who maybe was a false teacher or someone came into the church and said, hey, I met this group. You should hear them. Boy, are are they preaching a, a wonderful gospel, but it's not the right gospel or it was false. There were some some errors in it and they would bring that into the church. This church, the elders would make sure that they guarded the doctrine of the church, the doctrines of the faith, the doctrine of the word of God. And how important that is if a church is going to stand in this day and age and count for Christ, a church has to stand firm upon the word of God and have the word of God, an understanding of the word of God to the point where we can discern what is true and what is error. For if we are not in the word and we don't understand the word, and we don't hold this sound doctrine, then when, when, when false doctrine creeps in, we could be swayed by those every wind of doctrine. But here, Jesus is saying, church, Ephesus, you're doing a wonderful job. And he, he says that you're enduring, you're, you're toiling, and you're persevering, that you cannot endure evil men. And you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, those who come in and say, hey, I'm an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. They put them to the test. So they're not letting anybody slip into the church with false teaching. It's a beautiful thing here to see this commendation. And he goes on, he says, and they are not, and you found them to be false, and you have perseverance or endurance and you have endured for my name's sake and not grown weary jesus is saying to them church i'm proud of you i'm proud of you that you you, you're no, no matter how hard it gets to hold on to the truth to hold on to the word of god you are not failing in that but you are standing firm and you are facing the opposition head on and not backing away. And it's hard and, it's, and it, 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 it takes endurance. But he is commending them for this. And I think this is, when we consider this personally for us, and we, we consider <clears throat> this in, in, in a personal application, here I must remember that the Lord wants me as his church, as his bride, to be immersed. And we talked about this morning, immersed in the word of God. That I would hide God's word in my heart so that I might gain a good understanding. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, illuminating things in the word to me, it helps me understand truth. This, the truth of God Almighty. So that when, when error comes... Suddenly, if, if I understand the word and I've built my theology on solid, strong uh, doctrine, 
it is then that I'll be able to go red, red and an antenna will go up, a red flag. Say, wait a minute. That's not according to the scriptures. You remember the Bereans, what, when Paul would talk about the, the Bereans, the church in Berea, what would they do when Paul would come and speak to them? Anybody remember? They, yes, you got it. They went and they searched the scripture to, to see if these things are so. That we might be just like that and like the church at Ephesus here when it comes to the word of God and be, be solid and sound in our doctrine. Turn to Acts chapter 20 with me real quick. Let's go to Acts 20. And here the Apostle Paul is actually, has been 20 in Ephesus. And if you go down here to, <coughs> excuse me, uh, verse 17, Acts 20, we'll pick it up at verse 17. And from Miletus, he, Paul, sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. Plural. You see, all the elders came. So Paul wanted to talk to them before he left Ephesus. He had a message for them. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you things that was uh, anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. What was he doing? He was teaching them the word of God. Not just the gospel, but, but deeper things. And so that they were getting grounded in the word of God through the Apostle Paul. This very city, this very church of Ephesus in the early years. And now behold, bound in spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. Except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testified to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me by the way how if, if if the holy spirit came to you and were to verbally speak to you and saying by the way the rest of your life i have something in store for you and it's going to be bonds and afflictions that are awaiting you how would you and i handle that if we are told you know these are the things that I, if jesus were to say I have these things that you're going to... He told Paul, I have much that this man is going to suffer for me. And what? how would we handle that? But here Paul is saying, I know what, what's ahead of me, and it's not going to be pleasant. Verse 24, but I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself. In order that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the grace of uh, of the gospel, the grace of God. Oh, that, that, that we might say the same thing, dear Christian, tonight in verse 24 that Paul says. I think I know that I, I put too much uh, concern for my own well-being. Don't you? 
we, 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 we care about ourselves too much, I think. And it's just natural to do that. You know, we count our life so dear. What would, boy, if something would happen to me. And yes, we think of our family and that. But, but as, a, as an individual, sometimes we, we do everything we can to insulate ourselves. But here, Paul says, I don't consider my own life of anything as dear to me in order that I may finish the race that God called me to do. In verse 25, And now, behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will see my face no more. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. And now here's his exhortation, his charge to the elders of this church. Remember, this is the infancy of the church, the beginning of this church. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves, false teachers, will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that day and night for a period of three years I did not cease to admonish each one of you with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Paul warns them and says, I'm leaving, but I want you to be loving shepherds and I want you to guard the flock. I want you to be ready for the wolves that are coming. Be on the alert for them. And that's exactly what they kept doing. That when John is writing this, writing this down and sending this letter to the church from the island of Patmos, that is 40 years later from when Paul was meeting with the elders here. Okay, so think of a church that has moved on 40 years. Now, 40 years is basically what we call a generation. So what has been what has happened? The founders of the church, the initial believers in the church at Ephesus, listened to Paul. They grew strong in their faith. They held on to their faith. And then they, they, as they, they protected the flock with sound doctrine, they stayed that way. It seems that the next generation also followed that same, uh, that same important truth that they must guard the flock with sound doctrine. So we know that that Jesus is commending them. So go back with me now. I want you to see that because now we're going to see something changes. Okay, so pretty much what Paul was commending them for, and by the way, if you read the book of Ephesians, you can see what, what how Paul commended the church at Ephesus in his letter to the Ephesians again about 40 years before John wrote this, before Jesus sent this message to the church at Ephesus. So here is the positive. 
But now Jesus points to the negative. And now he uh, must bring condemnation for something there. Verse 4, But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. And many of you remember this this verse, this phrase over the years. It's been preached on, taught on, and so many sermons around this. But Jesus said, I have this against you. Here's one problem. That you have left your first love. When you begin to think of this, what basically happened? I think pretty much what happened here was it was the new generation, 40 years later, the kids are now running the church, overseeing the church, most of the kids. They're still the, the elderly ones, but some of I'm sure died off, but then you have a new generation. But what has happened? I think they may have gotten caught up in some worldly things or, 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 or the things of, of the, their life, so much so that their initial passion for the Lord Jesus Christ began to wane. And, and suddenly they're, they're, they're going about church the right way. They're still preaching the word of God. They're still taking a stand against false teaching. But there's something missing. And it's the love for Christ behind it. And as soon as we love, as soon as we lose the, the love for our Lord Jesus Christ, that passion we once had, we can go through the motions and I can go through the motions. And I can be a pastor and I can, I, I, I can do all my duties and everything else. But if I have allowed my first love for Jesus Christ when I first met him to just die out, become a flicker, and other things I have fallen in love with. Oh, yes, I still love him, but other things I've allowed to seep into my life, and I, other things have taken priority over him. That's what Jesus is saying. And how easy we can all attest to this, that there have been a time in our life where we failed the Lord because we've lost our passion to love him. And it has to be, our service has to be out of a heart of love for the Lord Jesus Christ. A love for him because he first loved us. And we have to be on guard for that affection. We have to guard our affections and make sure that that we don't allow ourselves to... You know, it, it's much like a marriage. You know, as you go through the years, as, a, as if you're married and you've been married and as a couple... You know, the years can go by and you're still together. But you realize sometimes that, wow, I don't have the, the, the same passion and love that I had when, when we first met. And suddenly, you know, you love each other, but it's a, almost like a different kind of love because you come so used to each other. And that first love uh, a feeling... Uh, kind of it will just wane over the years and 
sometimes in marriage we end up going through the motions and we forget how much we love that our spouse when we first met them and what that was like and then uh there was a a book uh, i think was written by pat williams years ago called rekindled and he was a, a basketball coach and manager for the philadelphia 76ers but he and his wife they were on the verge of divorce and but then god brought them back together again and they wrote a book called rekindled if you can ever find it it's a good one to read but i think this is what jesus is saying to the church and saying to me tonight would you rekindle your first love for me would you would you look at me yes you're doing wonderful things in the ministry but i'm more concerned about your heart and how much you love me and oh that i might have that love renewed and that i know i have failed the lord in this because i have fallen short of putting the lord first in my life and loving him to the point where i stopped counting my life dear to myself and all i think about is him when i get back to loving him the way i ought to wonderful things will happen suddenly my i will have more passion in my ministries suddenly i will love the the people of god deeper i will love the lost deeper i will have a more concern for their souls and it all starts with my love for my lord jesus how much am i really living out my love for him and and pouring my heart into him alone oh that we might rekindle our love for him and so here jesus is speaking to ephesus and saying you're doing wonderful things but look back look back at the way you used to love me and again if you go back to the letter of that paul wrote to ephesus the church of ephesus what do you see in that book that letter he wrote he constantly talks about their love for jesus how much they love jesus but here jesus says that's gone and so all oh, that we might protect the uh the love our love for christ and if if it's waned that we might rekindle it but then we go on then so this was what he had against the church but then he reminds him verse 5 he says remember therefore from where you have fallen and repent if i lose my first love for jesus that basically sin has entered my life because something has taken its place he says therefore remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds which you did at first or else i am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent basically jesus is saying here i'm going to close the church and it's interesting that ephesus stayed a fairly strong church they must have renewed their love for christ but they stayed strong up until the 4th century ad but then that is when everything came apart the city fell apart and so did the church so we don't know why but jesus is sending a warning to the to the church here and he will send it to the other churches 
unless you work on this area, you might find that, that your lampstand will be snuffed out. The light will be snuffed out. And, and I have to take this again in a personal way. Say, if, if the Lord's looking at my heart and he says, you're not loving me the way you ought to, Larry, then I might have to put you on a shelf. I'm, if you're not loving me and, and, and living for me the way you ought, you might end up being a castaway. You, I'm, you might be put on a shelf. And oh, how many times have you heard the sad story of someone in the ministry or a Christian who allowed sin to enter and suddenly they're, they're, they've, uh, they, 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 their usefulness uh, is gone for the Lord Jesus. So that's what Jesus is trying to say to the church. But then he ends with this. Here's a word of encouragement. He then says, he who has, verse 7, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So listen to what I'm saying, Jesus says, through the Spirit. And then he says, to him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. To eat of the, grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And when we look in Revelation later on, like in chapter 22, and we see the new Jerusalem, and we see the new heavens and the new earth, do you remember what's going to be there? The tree of life. The tree of life is going to be there, and we're going to be eating of that. The nations are going to be eating of that. But when, when we first read this, it sounds like, well, unless you live it perfectly and, 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 and basically don't foul up, you, 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 know, you love Christ perfectly, and you do these things, you know, uh, that to please him, it's, it's how you overcome these things, whether or not you're going to get to eat of the tree. In other words, some people think, read this and go, oh, well, that means that only a certain group of Christians are going to enjoy the tree of life in paradise, in heaven one day. But that is not the case as you understand what he is meaning here because uh and we'll look at we'll look at it later we're going to look at verses where that word overcomer is used but when jesus is using it here who is an overcomer just the ones that have rekindled their love no he is now talking about all the true believers in the church because you and i have overcome sin through Jesus Christ and his, the work on the cross so that you are an overcomer now. You are now, no matter, no matter how you may uh, stumble in the rest of your life seeking to please the Lord, but there are going to be times where we're going to fail him. But you and I are overcomers through Christ so that I know that these promises, when he says to those who overcome, I am an overcomer. You are an overcomer because of the blood of the Lamb and because I have been, I have been sealed and set apart as a child of God. I have, I have overcome through Christ alone. 
that now these are going to be the be the fruit, the rewards of being saved, of entering heaven, what God has waiting for us. And so to the church here, he's telling them, I have something special for you true believers. Because every church has people in it who aren't really true believers. You know, in, in every church, you'll have the tares and the wheat. We don't know which ones are true believers sometimes and which ones are not. Only the Lord knows. But we know that that they grow up together in churches. But the, we can know ourselves in our own heart. And if we know that we are saved and we know that our faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ, we can say, I'm an overcomer. And boy, what a day it's going to be. And one day you and I are going to enjoy the fruit of the tree of life. Isn't that beautiful? Look what God has waiting for us. So may the Lord take these truths and may we personalize them tonight and try and be the, the men and women that the Lord desires so that we might truly have that first love again for our Lord Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for teaching us Father, what you desire in your churches, in your people. Father, I pray, Lord, that we might leave here encouraged. Father, we know that there are things that you would commend us for. But Lord, as we look into our hearts, Lord, we know that there are things that that need to change. I pray you would help us to make those changes, Father, that will glorify you. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.